Pixar has made some of the most successful movies of all time. Toy Story, WALL-E, Monsters, Inc., and many others. These movies are made with cutting-edge computer animation techniques that Pixar often has to invent in order to tell the story it wants to tell. Pixar has teamed up with Khan Academy to teach anyone who wants to learn the basics of computer animation Pixar style. The collaboration with Khan Academy is called Pixar in a Box, and Kit Hirasaki joins the show to talk about it today. Kit has worked two stints at Pixar, starting in 1996 and again in 2008, and today Kit works at Khan Academy. So we also get into his experiences at Pixar and how the software engineering at Pixar works. And if you're interested in contributing to Software Engineering Daily, either as a host or just getting involved in the community and prepare, helping prepare questions, uh, you can go to softwareengineeringdaily.com and you can click on the link to collaborate. You can also find links to the Slack channel and my Twitter and my email address if you're interested in leaving feedback or just tweeting and saying hi, telling me what's up, what technologies you're interested in, what you want to hear more about, what you want to hear less about. Um, I'd love to hear from you. Kit Hirosaki is a designer at Khan Academy. In the past, he's worked as an engineer at Disney and Pixar. Kit, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Hey, cool. Thanks so much, Jeff. This episode will focus on Pixar in a box, but we should start by talking about your career at Pixar. You worked there from 1996 to 2000, and then you returned for another four years in 2008. What did you do at Pixar? Yeah, so um, when I started at Pixar, it was I, I was my senior year of college, which was back in like ninety five, ninety six, is the year that Toy Story came out. Um, so that was kind of a bit of a sea change in terms of like kind of giving birth to this whole new medium and industry. Um, and I had been studying engineering and and also computer graphics specifically in college because I I'd always wanted to work in like special effects. That was one of my dreams, and so. Uh, you know, was very fortunate to be hired on at Pixar kind of in the wake of, of Toy Story. Then, you know, like the next phase for, for Pixar was like, okay, we did it. Now we have to do it again. Um, and so they were then like, you know, changing out of sort of this like pure production, let's, you know, pump this first movie out thing into more of a like, okay, we need like a software department. We need like, uh, we need organization to sort of like do it again and, and, and make this stuff uh, more standardized. Hmm. Um, and so I came in and actually I was hired as the first uh, internal tech support person. So I got to ride a little like, I guess this is before razor scooters, but like a little push scooter, like around the office and, um, was kind of like the front, the front person for the, uh, for the engineering team in terms of working with animators and technical directors and other artists in terms of like tracking down bugs and dealing with issues. How did the Pixar of 1996 differ from the Pixar of 2012? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's definitely a different place, but, uh, I think they've done a amazing job of like keeping, the best or sort of like as they evolve, like keeping the best parts of Pixar and growing those. Um, so, I mean, certainly it was, it was smaller back then. I think it was on the order of 200 or 250 people or something when I started. Um, and we were kind of in like in this wacky building um, sort of office space in Point Richmond, which is its own curious little town here in the Bay area. Um, and uh, I think, you know, now Pixar is definitely like, you know, back then it was sort of just a scrappy company that was like doing some cool stuff. And now it's like this whole kind of like cultural icon and like people around the world know what it is. 
Yeah, there's a beautiful building, Steve Jobs Building, uh, which was built, I think, in like, around 2000, um, is now where the offices are in, in Emeryville. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it's kind of it's kind of crazy uh, to to see sort of how 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 much it's grown and and how uh, how great it's become. What about the engineering um, process? How has the engineering process changed from 1996 to 2012? Yeah, the engineering process has gone through lots of, I think you know, phases and stuff over the year. I think, you know, like I said, like just coming right out of Toy Story, uh, you know, we were, uh, a lot of work had been done and, and things had been built just sort of like, we just need to like build this thing so we can make this movie. Um, and so then there was this sort of first phase of like, okay, let's like start like trying to Ansify RC. Like there was a lot of like, uh, just like let's put in some organization and, um, and start, you know, bringing consistency and stuff to the product. Um, and then throughout the years have been various, I would say, you know, have been various sort of like next generation systems that have been built or that have the system has kind of evolved over time. Um, and yeah, interestingly, the, I don't have a full view because I was gone for, I was, you know, I was away for eight years, but, um, when I returned, um, I returned specifically to work on a project and then as a designer rather than as an engineer, um, which was the foundations of, which was kind of. The, the biggest sort of next-gen effort that had been done, uh, which is the system that's now called Presto, um, but it was basically the successor to uh, the original system, which was known as Menvi, which uh, amusingly uh, was, a, was a shorthand for modeling environment, uh, but the irony was that the way it was used, modeling was the one thing that wasn't really done <laughs> like in that system. like Everything else was done in Menvi <laughs> except for modeling, which was done in like uh, Alias Wavefront and Maya. So what exactly um, were these tools, Presto and Menvi? Yeah, so Menvi was kind of like so you know when Pixar first came around, like there wasn't Maya, there weren't like commercial, there weren't like a ton of commercial packages that you could use for making, you know, animated features. Um, and Pixar had been doing this, had been you know building tools and stuff since you know in the eighties, um, and so they had basically built this whole like custom software system for making things. I think, uh, you know, PDI is another organization, um, which, you know, then became part of DreamWorks that was sort of working in this early space. And so they really developed, had to develop all their own, t- own tools because there just wasn't a lot of commercial stuff available. And so that's what Menvi was. Menvi was this whole giant suite of things from, uh, you know, originally did, well, included modeling, um, but moved away from that, um, had, you know, everything from rigging, animation, uh, through lighting, like like the whole like pipeline of stuff where you're like working in the 3D environment uh, was, you know, lived inside of Menby. Mm. How does engineering, I mean, you, you've now spent some time at several different places. How does engineering a movie compare to engineering other products? Yeah, that's actually, a, a mm, yeah, there's something really interesting about it. One of the challenges, so one thing about the way Pixar, I think the way Pixar works, um, because it is a movie production studio. All right. So, and the movie production studio is a giant pipeline. It's like a big factory. You know, it's like you've got these ideas and stories that are being created at the beginning. And then as they sort of like get ready, it takes about two years to sort of like do the art, like sort of like art exploration and story, figuring things out. Um, that, that, that takes about two years to sort of develop that. And then the next two years is basically spent like making the movie. Um, and the way it flows through the system, it's like it goes through these different department stages, like a pipeline. Uh, you know, you've got, uh, you know, s- sort of departments like sets or characters who are creating, you know, all the different sets that are going to be the thing or, you know, modeling and rigging the different characters. 
But then once you get into the shot pipeline, you've got uh, a movie's broken up into sequences, which is sort of like a you know collection of scenes. And then a shot is like an individual cut, right, from just like between two cut points. Um, um, and so once you sort of get into shot production, you've got – it's going through this very specific flow of like – First, it needs to go into layout, and that's the camera team. And they sort of figure out like uh, what the camera posi- positioning is, what the rough blocking is. Then it goes into like animation, where they do all you know the animation, and you've got things like effects and simulation and uh, lighting and rendering, and like that whole thing is like this giant pipeline that everything flows through. And then if you have this challenge where like if your story changes or you have to redo things, like crap like we made a bunch of stuff like a bunch of stuff came out of the pipeline or was in the pipeline that like now is invalidated so now we gotta like go back to the beginning like do all that stuff again so it's this very expensive like large pipeline that stuff flows through but it's Um, funny because pipeline the pipeline process kind of sounds like the waterfall it is the waterfall it's the waterfall it's absolutely it's absolutely the waterfall process once you get into that shot production world um and one challenge we had with, like one story, actually one story we had when we were working on an, an early version of sort of the Presto uh, ver, uh, system was, was this kind of like, we're going to build this sort of like we do a movie. We're going to have uh, this sort of design and brainstorming thing, and then we're going to like go into this and this and this. And we were basically adopting like this waterfall process without without like really consciously recognizing what we were doing. Um and which certainly caused challenges in terms of like things getting disconnected from each other or, you know, make a design, but that takes a while to implement. Um, and so, you know, since then we've had to sort of recover and, and figure out ways to sort of, you know, bring stuff in to really close that loop. So you have a much more sort of iterative process on things. Hmm. Well, can you talk about that in more detail? I'd love to hear what are some techniques for making that process more iterative? Yeah. I mean, one thing, one advantage that, and, this is for me, like one thing about working at Pixar that like lends itself to doing that is the fact that you are create as an, you know, a designer engineer, like you're creating tools for your coworkers, <laughs> right? So it's very different than what I do at Khan Academy where I'm, you know, creating like these like simple, easy to use tools for like anyone in the world who wants to learn something, right? I, it's very different um, because I don't like, I mean, user research is important, but it's also its own sort of own challenge and sort of figuring that out. And there's clearly like tons of different users uh, with lots of different opinions. Uh, when you're making tools like Pixar, though, like, you know, depending on what you're working on, you might be working on like a very specialized tool for like uh, the layout department, you know, the camera department for like pre-visualizing like how scenes get cut together or how stuff gets laid out or things. And so you can like go down the hallway and, talk to you know talk to the 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 leads there or whoever sort of the the person who's uh, to be in touch with and like hash it out you know figure out like how should this thing work you know what should we do and then make stuff and they sort of try like oh yeah this is good but oh i'm realizing like you know th- this we didn't we kind of i didn't really think how important this workflow was or or my other coworker said oh this is cool but like what about that um so you can have this really tight sort of iterative loop um, mm. when you're creating when you're creating custom software like that yeah the internal customer uh, situation of, sh- of software development is is quite different it's it's interesting i i was uh, a software engineer at a trading company for a while and we were making mm. software for the traders that were sitting on the other side of the room so if you had a question about hey how should i make this option thing work and you can go and talk to them and you have a, a conversation and you walk back to your desk and like cool i just talked to the customer um, exactly. closes the feedback loop 
So we're going to get to talk to, talking about Pixar in a Box, which is this uh, this course, uh, this online course that's in partnership with Khan Academy and Pixar. But I want to talk a little bit more about Pixar first because Pixar in a Box steps through some of the different phases of this movie pipeline that you're talking about. It talks about them at a more rudimentary level, but it might be worth talking about the different phases of engineering a movie a little bit more just so we so when we get to Pixar in a Box, we can talk more about those rudimentary things and how they map to the um, you know the the more grandiose process of of building a movie at Pixar. So, from a high level, what are the different phases of the process of that movie pipeline at Pixar? Yeah. Okay. So I'd say, um, and I, apologies to anyone if I, if I if I leave out your department, I, I don't intend to because there's there are quite a few of them. Um, so there's kind of maybe two big phases. One is like pre-production, and one is production. And maybe that term is even just a little off, but the idea is sort of like when I say production, I guess I'm thinking sort of like shot production. So it's kind of the shot production pipeline, which I was describing. And then there's the uh, production before that. So before that, you have things like uh, character modeling, which is actually creating the geometry of the characters. You have shading, uh, which is a term that describes how you uh, do textures and how you know you make all the different surfaces. Um, and you have rigging, which is providing the controls uh, for that the animators would use to actually like move a character around. So around a character, like those are three of the kind of core things there. There's also I think simulation has become a very big piece around that. Um, you know because the characters are like wearing clothes or have hair or you know things like that. So that's a, also a big part of creating characters. Um, on the other side of that, you have set creation. So set has all those same qualities of you know you're basically creating 3D models and having to shade them and stuff like that. But then additionally, you're like assembling them and like sort of building this whole world. So that's kind of like the sort of, um, those are like the two big elements in terms of production um, that you're having before you get into shots. Of course, there's this whole other big element, which is creating the story and storyboarding and art design and just like figuring out the look of the film. And which, of course, that informs like all of these sort of technical and uh, like sort of concrete art departments or, you know, sort of specific like production departments. Um, Then once you get into um, shot production, uh, the another thing actually is funny about sorry, I'm bouncing around here. One thing that's funny about uh, animation production, certainly with Pixar does it, I think way it is done in general, is editing, whereas in feature films, sometimes editing is like, oh, we shoot, we did principal photography and we shot everything. Now we're going to go back and like edit the movie together. Um, Editing at Pixar uh, starts, is like a four-year epic adventure because it starts the very beginning. As soon as we're making storyboards and people are drawing, you know, sort of like flipbook comic book versions of the of the story the editors are cutting that together and making it into a movie and so uh typically well so definitely before any like actual shot work is done anything that you would see rendered out of a computer is done pixar creates a whole version of the movie that is just hand-drawn uh just like you know little storyboards of the whole movie all right, and then as uh, as each shot sort of gets created, um, as it goes through the pipeline, that that editorial cut gets updated, and so you can see just like the the whole movie just like evolve shot by shot through these different stages of of uh, resolution and everything. So it's a pretty fascinating experience. So so then once once we get into shot production, uh, typically starts with layout, which I said is sort of like camera and uh, and 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 incorporates sets also. Um, then it goes to animation, which is 
uh, well, it, animation, you know, <laughs> moving the characters around and, and other things that move, other sort of like you know, characters and things that move in the scene. Um, you have uh, simulation and effects. Um, effects also has an interesting relationship with lighting because it, there's a lot of sort of how it looks goes into effects, like explosions and stuff. It's a very tight relationship with uh, how things are lit. So, uh, so the, and then you have lighting, which is, you know, you've got this, you know, in a virtual 3D world, like there's no there's no natural source of light. So you have to put in the light. So you have to define like uh, what's, what's generating the light. And then the light of course interacts with all the, the surfaces and, and generates stuff you can see. Um, and then the final stage is, uh, is rendering. So actually like now that we've created these 3d models and all this stuff, we actually have to say, okay, now we need to output this as like a 4k image or whatever. And actually like <laughs> figure out what, e- what color each pixel is uh, and generate the images. Um, and also like another thing nowadays is like stereoscopic, like you're making 3d movies. There's like sort of a secondary pipeline. that's kind of attached on that around like making, setting up like dual cameras so you can do uh, so you can render it stereoscopically and then rendering. Of course you have to render twice as much stuff for the stereoscopic version or, or just like a second and I typically for the stereoscopic. Okay, that's a great walkthrough. And for listeners who are wondering why is this topic on software engineering daily? What does any of this stuff have to do with software engineering? All of these different steps involve a lot of different pieces of software, and the software all has uh, mathematical principles that you need to know if you, to to utilize, or at least a lot of the the artistic software. Um, and I think that brings us to Pixar in a Box. So why don't you just tell us what is Pixar in a Box? Yeah, so Pixar in a Box, it, like you said, it's a partnership between uh, between Pixar and Khan Academy and, and sponsored by Disney. And uh, what it is, it's a series, it's a whole uh, set of lessons uh, on Khan Academy. They're all free. And it goes through, basically the idea behind Pixar in the Box is to sort of see uh, behind this behind the scenes at Pixar, uh, in, I, I guess the original picture was sort of like the math behind the movies. Um, so you could see how um, the, the things that people do at Pixar uh, connect to things that you actually like are learning in school. So the genesis of this was uh, Tony DeRose, who's the uh, lead researcher at, at Pixar, um, had been giving a, ta- a talk uh, called The Math Behind the Movies, where he talked about like, because he's, he's a former um, professor from, from UW, um, and he came to Pixar actually about the same time I did originally. Um, and he, had, he was a specialist who developed um, uh, something called subdivision surfaces, which is a way of taking a surface and making it like making a smooth surface out of, you know, a, a polygon mesh. Um, and so he'd been giving talks about sort of like, hey, we make all this cool stuff and like, but it takes math and it takes, uh, you know, math and science to actually like make these cool images or make, you know, build this stuff. Um, and so he wanted to find a way to like take this, take this really cool, um, well, some, some, something that was really exciting to kids or, or to, really to, to anybody, <laughs> um, which is like, how do you make movies of Pixar? And then connect it back to say, hey, look, like this actually things that you're learning in school, especially in math class, connect directly to the kinds of skills you need to have in order to make like a, a movie at Pixar. Um, and so with in Pixar in a Box, you know, we look at each of these departments and I'm actually looking through the list here and I see crowds is one I left out. So crowds, you know, like large groups of people. Um, Within each of these, within each of these departments, uh, the way the, the the tutorial is structured is that 
uh, we talk about the job actually uh, and actually a person who works at Pixar. So each different we each tutorial has a different artist at, at Pixar who's kind of leading and, and telling you about their job and sort of how they think about this problem. Um, and then we focus on a specific problem or technology that they use that has a, a foundation like in math or science. Um, and then we dive into that to see like, for example, um, with um, uh, environment modeling, which is we look at creating fields of grass in Brave. Um, and the, the grass blades are all, and this is, this, is, and this is all like real stuff, the grass blades are all actually uh, defined by three points, which can be used to define a parabola, so a curve. So you've got a little bendy curve of grass, uh, which you can store very compactly because it's just three points. Um, and you can also animate that. Um, and so, you know, if you're a kid who's like in geometry class or algebra class and you're like, oh my God, like, <laughs> like, why am I learning about parabolas? Like, this seems like the most useless <laughs> thing. I can't even, I can, I can't even imagine like where I'm going to do this. And then you see Pixar in a box, you're like, holy crap, <laughs> like you can make, you can make like movies and whole like, like, look what they're doing with parabolas. Like, this is amazing. Um, so is the so, goal to inspire kids to have a carrot at the the end of the stick for their math classes or is it to give students the opportunity to just learn animation and then know what are the engineering principles that you need to know to be an animator yeah i would i, I wouldn't necessarily uh, uh cast it too much in sort of the carrot and stick model of things <laughs> but uh, um well but, i would just uh, say personally like that was that was very much that got me to to be really motivated to learn about math and yeah. to learn about probability and um, different different elements that may be more abstract and harder to see the point of if you're yeah. you know a middle schooler or a high school student. I mean, I think it's a big. I think it's a key challenge. Um, just you know, in sort of just education in general, um, and this is part of why there's uh, a large movement towards what's called project based learning, where the idea with project based learning is you have something you're trying to do or make. And then in order to like achieve that project or make it happen, you have to learn different things to enable you to do that. So you're not just sort of learning things because like it's chapter six and that comes after chapter five <laughs> and you're supposed to learn it next. Uh, but you have like a, a reason, like you're like, I'm learning this so I can do this thing. Um, and I think, you know, so that's what we're really trying to, that's fundamentally what we're trying to capture in Pixar in a box is like, oh, wow, like here's a reason to like, look, the stuff I'm doing has meaning or like, here's a reason to learn this. Oh, I want to like you know, I want to be able to animate this thing or I want to like try to do this. I need, if I understand how this works, like I could actually achieve that. I think the other uh, really cool thing that we hadn't totally, totally recognized initially was that, um, you know, each of, like I said, each of the uh, lessons is given by a different Pixar employee um, who actually sort of does that job. Um, and a thing that was really cool is that, you know, kids are, are watching these videos and, and doing the different exercises and, and, uh, and playing with the computer programs and stuff. And they're like, wow, like, I didn't realize that there was a job where you could like make dinosaur skin. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, I want to do that. That is so awesome. Um, and so, you know, I, we've heard stories from just classes who've, you know, uh, who've, uh, our teachers who've introduced to their classes and the kids are just like, like, oh, we want to work at Pixar. <laughs> like, this is amazing. Like, I'm so excited to do this stuff. Not to mention that the the Pixar employees that are presenting these modules are really animated, no pun intended. They're really <laughs> interesting people. They seem like desirable people to work with and learn from. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll say Pixar is a fan. I mean, I, yeah, I love uh, I love working at Pixar and have many wonderful friends there. And it is truly a 
it's truly a great place to work. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's uh, that, the people in the people in the in the in the, in the lessons are, are just as legitimately interesting and nice, if not more, in real life. Yeah. Do, so this is kind of a tangent, but do do you think people at Pixar do they see the movie making process more as an art or a science? Hmm. I think people at Pixar see it more as an art. Um, there's a lot. I mean, clearly, there's a lot of science that goes into sort of like uh, making, creating this 3D world and making it uh, um, achieve this artistic vision. But really, like everything that Pixar is doing is in service of storytelling. You know, it's in service of creating this experience and this story that, you know, just sort of takes you away. And, um, and it's just that, you know, like this happens to be the medium, uh, which is a very beautiful and compelling medium that they work in. But it's really, it's a really about the story. Mm. Okay, so let's talk about some of these modules that are offered in Pixar in a Box. There's one module called Character Modeling, and mm-hmm. this is how you model a character. And the topic yeah. of subdivision is explored. And you discussed this earlier, this breakthrough in animation that is called subdivision what is subdivision? Why is it so important to character modeling? Yeah, so sub, so subdivision um, is basically an, an algorithm you can use to take a um, like a geometry mesh, and so if you're thinking about it like a you know a, a geometry mesh, right? So like a bunch of uh, 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 quadrilaterals, like all like a bunch of you know rectangles or not not even rectangles, but like quadrilaterals all like in a mesh together or triangles or whatever, and like uh, if you've ever like played around with uh, just sort of primitive rendering stuff, like you quickly run into this problem where like, oh well, like yeah, if I if I try to make this look real, it looks like a bunch of triangles stuck together, or it looks like a bunch of you know quadrilaterals stuck <laughs> together, um, because the way that that interacts with the light, uh, once you actually like have shadows and stuff on it, and re- you know reflection and or just bounce and and uh, all these different sort of light properties, like it looks tessellated, right? It looks like it's this like bunch of little bits of things, um, and so like one way to solve that problem is to like make more triangles or like great like you know let's just like um, make the mesh like s- smaller and smaller, um, but then you have this sort of problem of like. Well, yeah, great. Your quadrilaterals got smaller, so like it's you, you see fewer artifacts. But like now, your mesh is enormous. Like the number of points you have to have to represent that is is totally crazy. Um, and so, what subdivision surfaces enable you to do is, you know, you have you can define a few control points, like you know, like the vertices of the subdivision mesh, and then you can uh, apply this algorithm that says. How much do I want to um, basically like sort of like smooth out the surface that's defined by those uh, by, by those points? Um, and so instead of having to store like every single point uh, for like every tiny little you know unit of skin or something you might want to render, you can instead use this. You can apply this algorithm to these uh, points and generate like a smooth surface out of that. Absolutely, and the the. The module walks through this entire process, if anybody's curious. So another thing that surprised me about animation when I was watching these videos, I was also, by the way, I was just kind of find myself surprised at how entertained I was by this. I have no... Uh, particular interest in animation, uh, except I'm, you know, I'm interested in all kinds of things, but 
animation is not a particular interest for, of me, but I found myself watching all of these videos because they were extremely compelling, extremely entertaining. And one thing that was entertaining was how useful randomness was. Explain huh. why randomness is so useful in animation. Yeah. Well, first, actually, I want to give credit to uh, the just since we can inject this here. I want to give credit to the people who are really like behind driving Pixar in a box. Um, and there's many people, including all the people who you know sort of you, you see in the videos. Um, but um, on you know on the on the Pixar side, you know this is originally Tony DeRosa's sort of idea or his genesis. Uh, Elise Clademan, who's the head of what's known as Pixar University, uh, which is like our um, or Pixar's uh, internal way for people to train and learn new things, as well as uh, do things like improv classes and fun stuff like that. Um, the two of them are really the people who came to Khan Academy and said, like, hey, like, we want to make this thing happen. And then on the Pix- on the Khan Academy side, the, the two main players are Britt Cruz, who's one of our content creators, who's really – who's the person who's behind uh, – uh, who creates all the videos or, you know, creates the scripts, edits it, like, is producing all this stuff uh, in conjunction, of course, with, like, the Pixar uh, video production team and, and the people in the uh, – uh, who are in the video. And then Peter Collingridge – uh, is uh, also works for Khan Academy, and he's the one who's created all of the interactive inter- inter- exercises that you that you can do and Pixar in a box. So like all of like it's just crazy the amount of stuff he's made that's like super cool from animation tools to like he created a whole rigging system you can like rig your own characters. Like it's really anyways. I just wanted to to give that credit. But back to your question, which is about randomness. Um, yeah, randomness uh, has a lot of utility. I think maybe part of it is that. The world is a pretty random place. <laughs> you, you sometimes, you know, uh, don't. I guess you, you don't necessarily. Maybe you don't natively think about it. Um, but like, you know, thing. What what makes sort of things things more realistic and less uh, kind of cookie cutter uh, can often be achieved by just introducing a little bit of randomness. Um, I even remember, this is just like a random story of my own, but I remember even like back when I was in uh, uh, computer graphics in college, I was writing a ray tracer, which is a way of uh, rendering images by like shooting these virtual rays to figure out how light um, bounces around. And I had all these like weird artifacts because uh, the like system I'd set up like was having some problems where it was like, whatever, the rays were like passing through some zero point at some time and they were getting lost. And I was like, you know what, what happens if I throw some randomness on here? And so like I jittered all the rays and then suddenly it worked and all my problems went away. <laughs> I was like, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't necessarily recommend people just do that. But, you know, as a uh, person who's pulling all-nighters my senior year, like it worked out pretty well. Well, it's funny because you can use randomness in a random way, but you can also use it in a somewhat deterministic way by bounding the ways that things are randomized with probabilistic strategies. And this is touched on in the Pixar in a Box series. I actually think this is a super important topic to teach to people at, at, at any age. Like I think, uh, you know, as humans, this is this is has been well discussed, but as humans, we are not good at estimating probabilities and yep. and judging uh things that are somewhat non-deterministic um we're not good at 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 making expected value calculations based on those on those probabilistic things and it's funny because like you mentioned the drawing the dinosaur skin i think this was one of the examples where um they showed a a process where if you put in too much randomness it looks weird and if you put too much determinism it looks weird how do you 
find that balance between randomness and determinism and how do you how do you make a program that does that programmatically yeah i mean some of the things like in i uh, specifically like the patterns um lessons is a place where they talk about the dinosaur skin and they talk about uh like the poisson disc process where they like are distributing sort of like the different scales in sort of a it's not truly a random way, but a sort of randomish way, or like you know, using that particular algorithm, or later on, sort of with Perlin noise of introducing like um, just these algorithms for generating noise um, and, and and randomness, and you know, certainly people have done done research over time to actually sort of generate these things, and they've been like been useful. It's like oh wow, like this sort of simulates something that we see in in like real real world <laughs> like or or gives us or or perhaps gives us a degree of control that we need um that just sort of like doing random just something totally random uh isn't helpful um so you know in terms of like what do you what tool do you use for that particular time you know uh it's gonna it's gonna depend a lot on exactly what you're trying to do um and you know how much sort of randomness or what kind of randomness you want to inject is going to vary uh, presumably a lot from sort of, you know, um, task to task. Okay, yeah. So it sounds like this is just a tool in the toolbox that permeates yeah. all steps of the animation process. Yeah, hopefully. I, I'm pretty sure that Pixar doesn't do what I did back when I was in <laughs> It's like randomly jitter their, <laughs> their, their pixels around so they get rid of their artifacts. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, in, you know, one, one lesson that talked about randomness was this module about Wally, which is this robot movie. And there were these random combinations of robot parts that were used to generate a fleet of robots because there was this scene where they wanted to get a big fleet of robots. They wanted to make the robots look somewhat distinct, but they didn't want to design each robot individually. So what they did is they made these, you know, they made like five heads and four bodies and three sets of legs and uh, it was pretty interesting. The ro- the the animators talked about using combinatorics to get these different modular parts. How common is this method of of finding some structure by using kind of combinatorics and randomness at a higher level like that? Yeah, I think. I mean, I think the the world of crowds, you know, is is definitely. Um, very common there right for example like in the in this case of of wally you have very explicit like rip off this leg and stick it on like a different robot kind of thing but you know even in like a movie like brave or something where you're like oh there's there's a whole bunch of characters like there's and like these different like it's set in scotland there's like all these different clans who sort of look like have different looks and stuff so you need to like generate like all of these different characters or monsters university that was another one which is kind of like wally where it's like okay like we've got a university full of monsters and we have like an idea kind of like of like some kinds of monsters or sort of monsters look like um but like how do we how can we generate like a whole bunch of extras basically you know to be in this scene um and so yeah people have come up with like all kinds of i mean yeah, there's like a whole like team working on like how can we how can we like make it easy to like sort of have like a monster make a monster maker and like generate these different things, you mm-hmm. know, all these different versions. Um, and one 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 fun custom they have at Pixar too is uh, they did this for cars also. That's another place where it's like, oh, there's a world of a jillion cars with all different colors and like slightly different this or that or different models. Um, 
And uh, they have a tradition of, of naming the, the individual like extras they, they end up using after people at the company. So like lots of the names are, are like variants of actual uh, employee or artist employee names at the company. Like they just sort of like, because once you put it in the 3D scene, like, you know, you got to give some name. It could be just, you know, Monster 54, but why not name it after so-and-so? <laughs> so you end up having all these like named monsters and there's hilarious. So there was this, speaking of crowds, there was this zombie movie a while ago called World War Z. I don't know if you saw it. Um, And there's this scene in World War Z where Israel has built a giant wall around the city and all of these zombies are trying to climb over the wall. And they eventually do climb over the wall by climbing on top of each other. And this scene was actually generated by giving these zombie models some rules along with along with aut- autonomy what'd you say yeah sure go ahead go ahead and, and and so this achieved this natural feel by 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 virtue of having a loose set of rules along with giving these models autonomy does pixar use this type of generative animation where you have autonomous agents and you give them a goal and it you just have them generate an animation until you get something that looks convincing let me think. Um, I'm not as familiar with that part of the pipeline if they're using that. I would say in general, like Pixar has historically had a bit of a bias towards hand animation uh, or uh, versus like procedurally generated stuff. Though lots of things are procedurally generated. Um, I can't specifically think of a lot of places, especially something as like complex as what you're describing. Yeah. Um, I can't think of a lot of places where I would I could point to it and be like, oh yeah, like that that shot that was like a big like okay. they, they applied like the procedural like you know lord of the rings big fight scene like thing to that or something like that yeah okay well that that makes sense i mean i think also this is my understanding was this is a pretty cutting edge technique and this movie happened from somewhat recently i think it might have been after you have left pixar anyway so um yeah and sir, yeah i've been gone for almost you know four and a half years now so I'm, I'm sure they have tools like you know that do things like that i just don't know i can't Nothing is popping to my mind where I was like, oh, like, obviously, like, that shot was done with something like that. Sure. So given that we're talking about software engineering on this show, the most compute-intensive part of the animation process is probably rendering. What is rendering, and how has it advanced in the years that you spent at Pixar? So, yeah, so so rendering is uh, basically you have all these things in a 3d scene you have geometry uh on that geometry you have mapped uh, uh a shader which is you know a thing that defines that when how, how light interacts with a particular point on on the on geometry um and then you have the lighting model which is you know different light sources and um and that is like tied very closely with shading like how things reflect or bounce around and stuff like that um and uh, and so, and from all those, like that soup of ingredients, right, which is like your 3D scene or your 3D scene description, um, what you have to do is you say, okay, well now we have to like make a picture out of this. So how do we actually do that? And the way you do it uh, very like just basically is, you know, every pixel, you've got an image that has just made up of pixels. Like if they're rendering at 4K, you know, it's like 4,000 something pixels wide. Um, so every pixel is going to have a color. 
And that color is going to be dependent on like, let's say the simplest case of like, I've got like a ball in the, like a, a circle in the middle of the screen, right? So if I render each pixel, if I go through each pixel, like if the ball is white and the background is black, then for most of the pixels, it's just going to be black because when I look through there, what I see is just black. But then when I look through and I see ball or some part of the, the ball or the circle, like that pixel is going to be white or some, you know, sort of like a shaded version of white if you have like shadows and stuff like that. Um, and so then that gets, that's like the simplest case. But then as you get uh, more complex and you have like uh, a room with uh, a blue walls and uh you know like a uh, a wood floor and like the wood floor is reflecting the color of the blue walls and there's like a mirror and like there's characters and there's like hairs which have um you know like sort of light effects where it looks like they glow when a light shines from behind them like you have all this like complex interaction going in but essentially rendering is like from my eye position looking at this scene with like some you know screen there like, what is the color of each pixel going to be? Um, rendering um, has... So I'm not, as, I'm not a super expert on rendering, um, but some interesting things about rendering at Pixar. Uh, when they... So, uh, you know, 3D films become a bigger thing um, more recently since, like, digital cinema. Actually, so 3D was kind of the, the carrot that, uh, that distributors and makers put out there to get the distributors, to get the, like... Uh, theater chains to, like put in digital cinema they're like hey we'll give you these 3d movies if you put in digital cinema <laughs> so that we can like beam you you know we don't have to send around reels of film because that costs us a ton to make those and they get dirty we just want to like be able to beam you digital data so like we'll make these 3d movies if you put in digital uh cinema anyway so that's just like a little random aside Interesting. um and so uh so pixar went back and was like oh pixar started making 3d movies it's like oh, okay cool um and they said hey like wouldn't it be cool if like Toy Story was in 3D? Um, you know, we made it 2D, but maybe there's some work we can do to, you know, like figure it out. Um, and, and so they, you know, they put in a bunch of work to like retrofit these scene, you know, each shot and sort of, and put in a second camera and make sure it looked good. And then they cover over any cheats they made in the original shots. Um, and then they rendered all those, all those frames. And, and when they rendered all of Toy Story, it took a weekend so, like, just for perspective, wow. like, <laughs> like when you're working on a contemporary shot, you know, in uh, at a place like Pixar, that's, that's like really complex. Let's say there's a bunch of simulations, and, like all kinds of stuff going on. Like, you know, that it would not be weird for for a single frame, you know, to take a whole day or possibly more to render. Like, that's mm. not that's not crazy. Like, one frame, you know, might take that long. Um, but the level of complexity, so the level of complexity kind of stays constant. It's almost like a function of like people's sanity or something like that. Like we just keep getting more and more complex. Um, but like the amount of time you like spend waiting for renders, like sort of seems to stay somewhat constant. But the really, so, getting, so the machine, so the, machine just get, keep getting faster and faster. Okay, so well, mach- maybe I'm, I'm, I might be glossing over a little bit, but there's definitely something to like the machines get faster and faster. So you can do more and more complex stuff. And like, still make a movie um, in like the kind of time you've allocated, um, but just the level, but like the level of complexity that can be generated now and and then rendered is like just in, like ridiculously greater than what was possible twenty years ago. And so you're saying that the animators basically keep pace with the improvements in technology, so it still takes just as long to render as it once did. Oh. Yeah. 
or, or roughly, that's, that's roughly. effectively like yeah, and that's and that's supposed to be the animators, but like uh, that's kind of like the appetite, you know, is like okay, mm-hmm. well, like hey, we we have this amount of time, like we can make it look this good, or we want to make it look this good, like yeah, it, it kind of just in in some ways expands because you could like hey, okay, let's like let's 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 light this like we were doing Toy Story or something like that, and it's like okay, well. Yeah, it's kind of primitive by today's standards. It's going to look dated, so you don't want to do that. You want to like use the latest and greatest. But then the latest and greatest like has a cost, right? If maybe we have like an even better like super duper way, but if it takes like ten times as long as anything else to do it, like well, we can't. We just can't do that. You know, you want to have the latest and greatest, but you don't. You mean you don't, you don't want to spend you know ten years making your movie? That is Parkinson's law, though, right? Because it's like the part. I think Parkinson's law is the amount of work expands to fill the available resources that are there to do that work. Um, so that's kind of what it sounds in like. Some ways, in some ways, I think that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what about like the cloud? Can, can you, I mean, I guess I don't know if you can export your rendering process to the cloud, but is that, is that possible or, or do you need extremely customized servers to do this? Uh, it's definitely possible. Um, from what I know, so again, I've been away from Pixar a little bit. Uh, from what I know, Pixar pretty much does all their own rendering. They have render farms. They have like several big rooms of computers that they use for this. Um, but like I know another guy I know, um, uh, they, they've started a new company. And yeah, they don't own any, you know, they don't own any machines other than they're just like, what do they work at their desktops? Like all the rendering they do or all the you know, the heavy lifting and stuff that happens is all done on like Amazon Web Services or something like that. Hmm. So Amazon Web Services offers GPUs that let you... All right, maybe I don't want Glosser. I don't know if it's specifically, I don't want to say like, sure. oh yeah, go to AWS because it's used for you to do stuff. Okay. But like whatever, there is some like cloud, there's some, yeah, there's some, there's definitely cloud technology that will enable you to to do this so you don't have to like have to run a damn render farm yourself right okay so this is this has been interesting and um oh, i've taken up so much of the time talking about random pixar stuff tell us more about pixar in a box what are some of the other modules that we have not touched on sure so um just sort of looking through here the uh the first module that 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 is sort of in the in the 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 tutorial uh is animation and this is with Rob Jensen, who's one of the animators, and actually a bit of a renaissance man at, at, at Pixar. He can really do anything. Um, and he talks about so the basic principles of animation. You get to animate like the little ball from Luxo Jr., which is like Pixar's one of Pixar fir- one of Pixar's first shorts back in the day. Um, and then the mathematical concept he looks at is uh, Bezier curves. Uh, which are uh, basically form, which are, uh, you know, curves that you have control points so that you can make smooth motion. So you can define smooth motion. So you can have just a couple of sort of key frames where you're like, okay, the ball is going to be on frame one, it's going to be at this location, and a ball, and on frame 10, it's going to be at this location. And then you can use the Bezier curves to sort of define the motion of the ball um, smoothly between those uh, two frames. Um, character modeling, uh, Alonso Martinez is... Uh, the artist who talks about this, and we talked a little bit about this, this is with subdivision surface and how you actually like, make characters. Um, patterns is with uh, uh, Anna Lacaze and um, and Beth Albright, and that's covering dinosaur skin and shading. So this is shading is like how do you like what's the texture and how does that appear? And the randomness um, stuff. And the randomness and a big part of what they talk about um, and the sort of principles they're getting into is noise and randomness. That's a lot of the math there. 
Um, let me sort of just pop through these. Um, rigging is, uh, so this is the process, it's also known as articulation, uh, is the process of like actually providing all the controls for how the characters move. And this is with uh, Brian Green. Um, and it's also like the sort of like thing behind this is not specifically around the math. It'll actually, there's a good bit around like transformations because that's what rigging is. You know, you've got, when you're moving things in general, like when you're like defining geometry in 3D world or like an arm or something, or like just a character or something like that, you've got like translation, you got to move them to a position, you got rotation, you know, they're going to like, um, what is their orientation in the world? And then you have the scale, you know, how big or small is this thing? Um, and that, that's like just very simple. There's all kinds of other fancy stuff you can do with rigging uh, but those are sort of like some of the basic principles we look at and then also you can like actually make your own character in this cool uh like rigging system that uh peter Collingridge built um so you can actually like rig you know sort of define the geometry of your character and rig it and make all the controls so you can actually like move and like animate your character which is really cool yeah and this this whole course is also just a great introduction to khan academy if you don't know about khan academy there's so there's videos interspersed with little tutorials that are just in the browser basically you get a sample of the software like for example you, know, you can mess around with bezier curves and mess around how the that ball bounces and mess around with randomness all with these little javascript modules that are just in the browser um so with that let's talk a little bit more about Khan Academy you worked in movies and television for many years before you ended up at Khan Academy. What brought you there? Yeah, so it's actually, it's funny, it's sort of a long, long arc that got me there. Um, and in some ways, it's it's a it's it's related actually to Sal Khan, the founder of Khan Academy. Um, he's, we're, we're kind of uh, contemporaries um, in terms of age. And back when I was uh, trying to, my senior year when I was in college, when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do, and I knew I was very interested in movies, I always loved movies and special effects and um, wanted to try to do something like that. I was also like talking with video game companies and, and things. And I had this realization that like, wow, like I'm not really interested in like a, a number of video games, but I'm really interested in this idea of like educational software. Like I would really be excited to like make uh, software that could help kids learn. That would be fun. And, um, I kind of looked around at like what was out there and like, honestly, like the, the coolest thing to date, as far as I could tell was like, where in the world is Carmen San Diego, <laughs> which is like, like, it's cool. Like people love it, but like it didn't, wasn't quite holding a candle to like, oh, like Pixar just invented like this whole new like industry and art form. Um, you know, this was back in the era of sort of like CD-ROMs and stuff like educational software was like in general, like pretty, pretty crap. Um, and uh, I, but I, I hooked up another, uh, undergrad who was at MIT and she was like, oh yeah, I'm really interested in stuff too. And she introduced me to this book called, uh, the diamond age, which is, uh, by Neil Stevenson, who's known for snow crash and a bunch of other sci-fi cool stuff. And in the diamond age, uh, there's this, uh, it's, it's called the diamond age, uh, the young or, uh, a young lady's illustrated primer. And in this book, the Young Lady's Illustrated Primer is this book, which is done in the style of like a Victorian sort of uh, uh, like kids' children's book, um, where whoever the reader is becomes like the main character in the story. But this book is actually the most like advanced AI that has ever been built. And it's this amazing tutor that like helps you learn whatever you need to learn in your life, but in the context of like this fantasy story that it's taking place in. Um, 
And that just I like this just idea of like creating this sort of AI tutor, which may be backed by a real person or maybe AI, but like and in weaving in stories and like games into like learning. I was like, oh my God, like this is like so amazing. Um and but it was like, but this is like not like no one is doing anything like this. Like this is so far away. Um, and so instead, I, I, I took this path into entertainment uh, and did a variety of things. I worked in Hollywood also. I was trying to work as a writer for a number of years. Um, and then I was working at, you know, the second time at Pixar. And um, I had like a family friend was like, oh, wow. Like I found I've been using this thing called Khan Academy to like, you know, learn some math I didn't learn in high school. And then like some other people I kind of heard about this. And I was like, what is this Khan Academy thing? And then, then I – so I figured – I saw Sal Khan's TED Talk, which was sort of a famous one from like about five years ago. And then I started seeing like, oh, wow, there's like these other companies too that are doing like similar things. I was like, oh, crap. Like the educational technology revolution is here. Like I got to get on. Mm. <laughs> and uh, and then I, and I just realized like, wow, I, this was a thing that I had really desperately wanted to – uh, sort of t- somehow make happen, but it just didn't seem like the time was right back when I was, you know, originally looking. And then finally, I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Like the young ladies' illustrator primer, like th- it, the path has begun. Like let's get on that. Let's get on that train. Um, and was you know fortunate enough to be able to uh, to join Khan Academy. And we haven't made the young ladies' illustrator primer yet, but um, but it's funny because this is a book that Sal like. Uh, gives to people like when they start the company like this is like a diamond like age. hey like read, read the diamond age really like, <laughs> yeah it's because he read this too like back when he was in college and he was like oh man this is amazing so that's like, his vision too yeah in some ways that's his vision as well yeah or like this thing that inspired him to be like oh man like we gotta do this um and so uh yeah so that was funny uh that we both sort of were inspired by that same thing, like 20 years or whatever, 15 or 20 years prior. Um, and only now were we like able to start working to like make the scene come to fruition. So it's, you are a product designer at Khan Academy. And uh, what I find so interesting about your career is you really have touched in all these different areas. And it sounds like at these different places, you are just kind of sampling different things and kind of seeing where you can put a lot of impact, whether it's, as an engineer or, uh, you know, working with animators or uh, being a script writer at the Burning Mac show, you know, I don't know, maybe that was something, was that just something you were interested in for a while? You said you were trying to break into writing. Um, I'd love to just get a little color on that. Like, how have you... Um, traversed your career. How have your What's priorities? What's up with your damn what, resume? What, what's up with you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think if there's like a consistent. Because I look, just just to, to, uh, to, to set the record. I mean, my my resume looks equally strange and like back and forth. It's like, does this guy even know what he wants to do? Um, <laughs> and what do I want to be when I grow up? I need to figure that. Well, one day I'll figure it out, or else I'll just be dead by then. <laughs> um. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, uh, I've always had a love for um, for movies and storytelling. And that's really what led me through, you know, and working in uh, working at Pixar, working and working at Disney, uh, creating animated films um, and then trying myself to like. And when I worked in the Bernie Mac show, I was an assistant. I was a I was like a writer's assistant. I wasn't one of the well, I was one of the staff writers. Um but I, uh, you know, I hold this interest in sort of telling stories and making movies. That's always been, uh, that's just always been a, fascinating to me. Um, I've also always liked 
technology and engineering. Both my parents worked at NASA, you know, back in the sixties. Um, and, and then there's like this other weird, I guess, piece, which is like, I want, you know, I have this very strong desire to, uh, to help, I don't know, to just make it, to make a really positive difference in the world. I'm very interested in both in education and politics. And, um, it seemed like, you know, I was just excited that I would somehow be able to sort of like fuse together sort of like my love of technology and of sort of like storytelling with like understanding people and, and making something that would enable them to, to, you know, take control of their own lives and really like achieve their own dreams. Um, so yeah, it's kind of like grab bag of stuff, but I think those are like, those, those, those literally are some of like uh, the the key things about my personality. Yeah. I have, I have a lot of respect for that because, uh, I think it takes a lot of, um, the perspicacity and tenacity, whatever word you want to use to, to say, Oh, I have all the, these, this bucket of different interests that are somewhat rivaling, but I believe that they can be complementary. Uh, eventually, and just throughout your career, you sort of gradually asymptote towards satisfying all those different things that seem somewhat disjoint, but uh, over time they they come together. And it sounds like you know where you are at Khan Academy has really you know just it's, it sounds like a, the perfect role for you. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm very, I mean, I'm, I love being here at Khan Academy, and like my my role is sort of like always changing as evolving. I mean, every year the the company is is growing and and changing as well. So uh, I wouldn't say that like what I'm doing is some like magical combination <laughs> of like every you know it's not like it's not like the end of some superhero movie. Where it's like oh yeah, like all my powers combined to defeat the enemy or something like that. But um, certainly like different elements or different uh, pieces of that um, are. You know, I'm I'm definitely pulling on like lots of different experiences uh, to try to um, you know to try to do my job and, and, and try to great stuff make great stuff at Khan Academy. Okay, Kit. Well, this has been a great show. Um, thanks for helping to make Pixar in a box. I have enjoyed it immensely. Yeah, I'll just say I'll just say like I, I, I'm actually a very small part of this Pixar in a box thing. Uh, uh, I you know in some ways I was sort of the original glue that's sort of like hey Kit like we know you you're a Khan Academy now like do you guys want to like do a thing and I'm like hey I don't know like let's <laughs> talk to the people who have power at this company and then like uh, but I've certainly been involved in sort of like helping figure out like how we want to do this and and you know giving feedback and stuff. But really, the heavy lifting has been done by uh, by other people. So I'm I'm someone who but i'm someone who sort of knows both sides of of you know these two worlds um and so i'm um i'm getting to play this this bridge role but the, the true credit for pixar in a box uh really goes to uh you know tony and elise and uh and uh brit and uh peter and all the other people who've worked to create stuff for it well maybe one of those people will want to come on the show for we could do maybe a part two of this um, this is because there's so much, so much material to cover around Pixar um, and the entire project and Khan Academy as well. So, uh, Kit, thanks for coming on the show. I want to respect your time. Um, I had a lot of fun doing the preparation for this show. So, uh, so, <laughs> good, so good, yeah, really appreciate it. And I think I find your career very fascinating and uh, somewhat inspiring. So, thanks. Well, wonderful. And if folks, you know, if you want to check out Pixar in a Box, you can just go to like pixarinabox.org and it'll take you right there great cool well uh thanks kit have a great day thank you you too jeff 
Thanks to Symphono for sponsoring Software Engineering Daily. Symphono is a custom engineering shop where senior engineers tackle big tech challenges while learning from each other. Check it out at symphono.com slash sedaily. That's S-Y-M-P-H-O-N-O dot com slash sedaily. Thanks again, Symphono.